The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by the Pure Hookup app. Pure Hookup lets awesome people have casual sex tonight. Download the Pure Hookup app on Google Play or the App Store. Pure, the hookup app that says it's a hookup app. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that believes therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. A Talkspace therapist can help put you on the path to a happier life. For a special offer for my listeners, visit Talkspace.com slash manwhore. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. What's up, feminazis and antifas? Bad bitches and comedy killjoys. This is Billy Persida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. My ass is killing me. And I'll tell you, I'll explain why in a little bit. Uh, what's up, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to my show. Uh, if you're new to the program, this is a podcast where I typically talk to women I've hooked up with about sex, dating, and why we didn't work out. However, this week's special guest is not one of my former flames. No, I've got on a sex educator, sex sexuality writer, former porn star, former escort, Kitty Stryker on the podcast this week. And I can't wait to tell you more about her and her fantastic work in a bit. But first, show dates, people. Show dates. Okay. This Sunday, July 23rd, I am at Lucky Jack's on the Lower East Side doing Comedy Fight Club. Uh, I'm going to be doing a roast battle against a guy with no arms. <laughs> and then uh, Connecticut, I am up in you on July 30th at Comics at Mohegan Sun. Doing a show at 8 p.m. up there. Would love to see some Connecticut fan whores in the audience. For more information on those show dates and more, head on over to manwhorepod.com slash comedy. Also coming up next Wednesday, everyone, come on. Hey, put in your iCal, your G-Cal, your Cow-Cal, your Z-Cal, whatever. Put a post-it note on your dick. I don't know. We've got the Fan Whore Facebook Live Hangout next Wednesday, July 26th. is going to be at 1230 Eastern Standard Time to accommodate my guest. Uh, going to be having all my intern for a little bit on the Hangout. Beatrice, so if you want to come hang out with us, ask some questions, play some games, Join us, uh, go like the Man Whore Podcast on Facebook so that you don't miss it. Also, you know, when you're over at manwhorepod.com, make sure you sign up for the mailing list. That's how you stay up to date with all the latest Man Whore Podcast news. Like, here's some news. Uh, I appeared on a couple of podcasts uh, in the last week or so. I actually had a really good time on them. I think you should check out my episodes there. I was on a show called The Slant. It is a like kind of a group discussion podcast. It's a bunch of Staten Island comedians. They invited me over uh, to their dumpster of a borough, and we talked about you know my life and the podcast and some other sex stuff. We talked about whether it's uh it's proper to have sex when you're breastfeeding, like while the kids latched on breastfeeding. Um, I took an interesting stance there. I might regret. And then I also did a podcast called "Don't Mind If I Don't." This guy, uh, the host, Aaron, he has on guests to convince him to like things that he doesn't like. So he had uh, yours truly on the show to convince him that gambling is fun. 
<laughs> so uh, I we, we had a chit chat while I dealt him blackjack for real money. And so if you tune into there, you can find out if uh, I was the big winner or the big loser. So check out those shows, The Slant, and don't mind if I don't. Super quick note, uh, if you'd like to be part of the Man Whore Podcast Fan Whore Fantasy Football League, shoot me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com is a $30 half-point PPR league. Lock up your slot now. Try and take try and take the title from me, I dare you, okay? Uh, I had a good week. I had a solid week. You know, I, I, I did some stand-up comedy, went to the nude beach yesterday, uh, burnt my butt off, literally. Oh, man. I mean, maybe not quite so literally, but... My, my ass is a juicy red right now. It is painful. I am a stand-up comedian who's just going to learn how to do all things standing up. I'm going to learn how to, uh, to fuck and sleep standing up now because just anything touching my ass is uh, painful. I actually uh, put a little picture of the juiciness uh, <laughs> on my Patreon feed for those fine folks to take a look at. It, it ain't pretty, in my opinion. But maybe to some of you kinksters, you're like, ooh, that's a good red butt. Yeah. <laughs> you freaks. I love you. Uh, the nude beach was otherwise a good time. Had, had a blast. Saw a lot of fun bodies out there. Uh, and the other highlight of my week, you, your favorite man whore got to fulfill his manifest destiny. No, not killing off Native Americans, but seeing the show Hamilton. Finally saw it. After a long time of listening to that soundtrack at the behest of my girlfriend, uh, I, I received for my birthday a ticket to go see it. I had these fucking wonderful seats. I was in the mezzanine, but like fifth row center, I could see everything. And it was, it was everything I could have dreamed it could be. It was wonderful. I cried, I think, the entire show. It was just so good. Ah, I'm just, I, I want to go see it again. I want to go see it again right now. I have Hamilton lyrics running through my mind constantly. And I want to give a shout out and a huge thank you to a special fan whore who bought me that ticket for my birthday. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you very, very, very much. As a man who can never be satisfied, I feel quite good. Uh, there's also some really fun Hamilton news that re- relates to the show, but I can't quite announce it yet. But let's just say you may or may not hear some more Hamilton in your ears on this podcast in the future. Now, before I get to my guest this week, Kitty Striker, uh, I want to read some emails, people, some emails from you. This one comes from Jeremiah. Uh, he he had some beef with my... Uh, <laughs> With episode 165 with uh, the Glamazon Tayomi. He said, I've really enjoyed the show and it's been great to get to know you. But that section about the Midwest and Kansas and Nebraska seemed so out of character. And while most of the yuck came from your guest, it left a bad taste for me. I'm from Michigan. I grew up in rural mid-Michigan and then I moved to unnamed major city in Michigan to be in a more fitting community. I feel like your guest was trashing states more in the Kansas and surrounding area, but still generalizing about such a huge group of people is almost never, perhaps actually never a sound idea. And then he goes on to give me some timestamps of the things that he, he took issue with. And then, uh, and then there was a part where, you know, we, we referenced uh, what else do you have to do in Nebraska but like go to Walmart and fuck in the parking lot. 
I'm half sorry to any Nebraskans who took offense to that. And again, we weren't talking about Michigan. We already know Tyomi had some issues with being factually accurate on certain things, and I've already corrected some of them at the end of that episode. Obviously, you don't legally have to drive hours to get birth control in most, in really anywhere in the country. But, you know, depending on your socioeconomic status, how much money you make, what type of health insurance you have, yeah, you know, it might be expensive to go to your general practitioner. And if you live in a state that's like really, um, what do you say, out, that's really adversarial against Planned Parenthood and shuts down Planned Parenthoods in, in that state or makes it difficult for them to operate, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to get affordable birth control. Places like Planned Parenthood can make it uh, affordable for a woman or for other sorts of uh, health care, whether they be um, mammograms or abortions. You know, I mean, the states in particular that were referenced in that episode, Nebraska, Kansas, they only have two Planned Parenthoods in the entire state. So, yeah, somebody might have to drive a couple hours just to, to get an affordable birth control prescription. But, you know, this has come up several times, you know, people from the Midwest take an issue with things that are said about their states or about the area on, on the podcast. And look, I'm look, I'm, I'm happy that you are a proud Michiganian and you know, you should take pride in in where you live to an extent, but if you live in an area and I'm not talking about Michigan necessarily right now, but if you live in a state in the country, if you live in an area of the country that people generalize about, or if, and, and they're correct, you know, if I say, Texas does a lot of shitty things to prevent women from uh, obtaining an abortion. Like you can't get mad when I say Texas is anti-woman because it is. Or that like a, a, that a particular Carolina is anti-trans because it is. And if, instead of just like getting offended because I said something negative about the state that you're from, maybe let's talk more about how to change the reality of where you live. You know, I mean, think about who you guys elect to public office. I mean, the, the word it's in the name representative, a state representative, they represent your state. So if I, and that's the thing, I, and look, I come from liberal elitist New York city where we don't encounter a uh, flyover country nearly as often. But here's the thing. It's like when I'm in a place, if all I have to go off of is who are, are the politicians on TV who represent your state as state representatives. I mean, if you elect bigots and anti-queer people and Congress people who are trying to change the laws to make it more difficult for black people to vote, yeah, that's what I'm going to assume about your state. And if you don't like that, elect different people. And if you do vote Democrat in those states, or even if you vote Republican and you just think, oh yeah, but this guy's being shitty, then you should be a part of that change and work hard to try to get someone else elected. We've got midterms coming up next year. That is a perfect opportunity to show the country, hey, our state wants to be better. So we're going to put this person in office. Doesn't necessarily have to be a Democrat. It could be a Republican if they, you know, they believe that you know queers are equals and women should own their own bodies and, and black people should vote then please put that person in office. I would love to see them there. So just don't be, you know, I get it. Sometimes people from Michigan, Ohio, wherever, you know, they get mad at me when I say stuff about where they're from. I'd be like, I'm just going off of 
the people you chose as a state to represent you. So, a little sorry, not sorry. I will try to be a little more careful. Uh, This next email comes from Chris. This one's a little less hostile. Chris writes, Hey, Billy, I loved the Craigslist Chronicles this month. Nothing like getting wood while working around a bunch of dudes. That was a very hot story. Worth the price of admission with that one episode. Keep up the great work, my friend, and thanks for all you do. Also, you're getting a little cocky with all these fancy football champ mentions. I'm probably going to have to take you down a peg or two this year. Try it, Chris. I dare you. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the email, dude. Uh, That email is, of course, referencing last week's bonus episode of the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. I I told a story, a Craigslist chronicle of me being a peeping Tom into a window consensually for a couple that I met on Craigslist. Uh, That episode is available for $1 a month, so uh, you can pledge any amount on Patreon and receive access to it. But if you pledge $5 or $10 a month, you get access to dozens and dozens of more uh, episodes, including tomorrow's bonus episode with Kitty Stryker, where we um, discussed uh, fat sex and hemorrhoids for another for an additional 20 minutes so that was a good time of course go to patreon.com slash man podcast if you'd like to gain access to that show this is a real quick one apparently there's been some confusion it's unclear to some people i get i get tweets in the in the dms and i get emails being like hey are you and Paige still together the short answer is yes yes we are still together uh i don't know why that's unclear but in case, in case you were wondering, yes, we are still together, still in love, still doing all that fun stuff. She just, uh, you may hear less current updates about her only because she is asked to be a little more private. Uh, she would, she would like some more privacy, except of course, if we reach our Patreon milestone goal of $1,000 pledged per month, then Paige, my lovely, lovely girlfriend will come on. And do a full-on episode of the Man Whore Podcast. And uh, my last announcement is about Man Whore Con. Hurry up and get your tickets, people. Uh, tickets right now are still just $47.50 for access to the entire weekend's itinerary, including a live Man Whore Podcast show. So again, go on over to manwhorepod.com slash tickets. Uh, get that now. Those tickets are refundable up until September 1st. In case you want to get your cheap ticket now, and see if it's going to be feasible for you to travel. You can always get your money back in time. And now for Kitty Stryker, who's also on Patreon, and you should all go support right after you support me. <laughs> Kitty Stryker, fantastic conversation I had with her. Uh, I, I will warn you, it's, there's a lot of uh, kind of academic feminism talk. Okay, a little bit of a feminism 401 speak throughout this episode, but I really enjoyed it. Uh Kitty is a self-described feminist killjoy. Uh, for real, she has a tattoo on her arm that says so. And uh, I had a really fun time talking to her. We obviously do not agree on every single issue within the realm of sex positivity or feminism. But what I loved about this episode is that we talked to each other. We had a discussion. We disagreed. And afterwards, we still didn't, we didn't hate each other for it. Because you can have a different opinion in this country and in modern feminism and not have to hate the other person at the end of the day. What a novel idea. 
she's a fantastic example that I hope other people uh, will follow. When we make uh, we make a reference, by the way, this woman Andre. We're talking about Andre Shakti, uh, who does wrestling porn. Uh, Andre actually warned me when we recorded. She's like, "Oh, you're talking to Kitty. Kitty's super smart. She's gonna make you feel stupid." And she was right. <laughs> Kitty, Kitty definitely made me feel like a moron, even though apparently it's ableist for me to use the words moron and stupid, uh, to which we will agree to disagree, but I will hear her out. And I think that's the important part. Uh, I, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Kitty. I'm going to shut my, my big fat man mouth. Enjoy this episode. I'm sure you use you use microphones before once or twice. Oh, I'm used to because like the because like, half my guests are special guests like yourself, and then the other half are like just everyday ordinary women who made the mistake of making out with me a long time ago. <laughs> They're not used to talking on mics or or doing things in a public light, so I have to like teach them how to how to how I to guess, do it. Yeah, kind of how to speak confidently in a microphone instead of just being like this. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I be like understand uh, talking about sleeping with me. Like you kind of want to keep it in a hushed voice. Like it's not necessarily something <laughs> it, to always be proud bad? of. Uh, it depends who you ask. Really, <laughs> at least you get honest feedback. So I do get the honest feedback. It is weird. I, I remember like the the first recording I did. I thought we stopped hooking up because she got a boyfriend. I was like, oh, I understand that. That's fine now. You know, we had some good times and great. And she's like, no, the boyfriend came later. I just stopped because I was not feeling it anymore. I'm like, oh, that's a rude awakening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. I get bored really easily. You honestly. do? Yeah. Um, though, I mean, I've had my, my wife and I have been married for about half a year and we've been together for three and a half years. And then my boyfriend, we've been together for a year. So I haven't gotten bored of them yet. Well, no, a year ain't crazy long. No, it's not is that it, long. Is, is, is that long for you? Is a year a long time for you? For men. For men. For dating men. Okay. Absolutely. How quickly do you usually go through? Six months. Six months? Just that's, when, that's when all of the fun has like drained out and I'm realizing how much emotional labor I'm doing and how little sex I'm getting out of it. You're getting little sex out of the guys? Yeah. Why? You know, it's just one of those things. I mean, I, I totally appreciate that like men are expected to have a lot of sexual interest and like be always available and they're not. And they're that's supposed fair. to always be horny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them aren't. And honestly, I probably veer more towards those kinds of men because of my politics. Right. But um, we still, are, it's we are, are socially, uh, socially aware are the marching guys just too tired they're like look i marched all day and i am not horny there's definitely that well it depends i mean i've definitely gone home actually i was at an orgy with andre uh Ah. the night of the election and my boyfriend and i left the orgy (laughs) after fucking to go and protest in the street like literally right after. So we went from orgy to getting tear gassed. Wait, what was the orgy <laughs> impromptu? Was this like already planned? It like was did planned. you think it was gonna be a celebratory orgy? And then did you keep the news screens on during it and yeah, see how Yeah, we kept bad? the news screens on during Poor it. Poor choice. You should have kept them off and then around like two AM at least you could have enjoyed it and then just be like, oh, fuck, what happened? Well, there's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of like, no, the world is going to end. So we just, we got to get this done now. Like, quickly, we're going to be too tired. My girlfriend insisted on, like, we went to a friend's place to watch and we thought it was going to be good. It wasn't looking great when I was on my way over, but like, hey, who knows? Once we realized, like, the direction it was going, we're like, I think we're gonna go. Yeah. You know? And we get home, and she starts. It, it, we start. She starts drinking, and it gets to be like midnight, and she 
is like crying and she's just like yeah she is a wreck she insisted on sleeping on my floor <laughs> insisted i was like this is not you're not sleeping on my fucking floor she's like no i'm sleeping on my floor i'm like look trump hasn't made that a law yet so you should yeah, enjoy right? sleeping in a bed while you're still allowed <laughs> yeah seriously i mean handmaid's tale for realsies though <laughs> oh man that I, that's that's terrible orgy pro uh TV programming is I mean, election. I, 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 I'm really into politics, mixing politics with my sex. So yeah. like, it's not the worst thing for me. I, I, I put this in quotations, lost my virginity when I was 16 to an argument about socialism. So like during the sex or right before, right before, right. Okay. We got really worked up and he was, he was the one being like, no, I don't think, I think that you're being idealistic. Socialism isn't really going to be effective. And I was 16 and was like, no, socialism will save how, the world. What, how old was he? He was 19. Okay, okay. And did, did either of you change the other's mind uh, through the sex? Uh, not through the sex, but no? through constantly talking about this. Eventually, I, I wore him down a little bit, and he wore me down a little bit, so we met in the middle. Because I could imagine there are, cer- there are certain rim jobs that exist that could maybe change my mind about issues. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, this is a good time to say I'm sitting down right now with Kitty Striker, Um Sex educator, uh, activist, uh, anthology curator, I think yeah. you would say. What What would you say? Here's the fun thing about like the Oakland types is how I, I want to kind of categorize y'all is that you wear a lot of hats. Yes. You know, I remember the first type of person kind of not in Oakland, but one of those types was Milka Halili. I was like, wow, you do so many fucking things. This is like yeah. a, a big bullet point. So let's go through. So so sex educator. Yep. Um, activist. Yep. Book curator, what what else falls under? Do you do you put on the resume? Um, I mean journalism. journalism. I do a lot of journalism, mm-hmm. and I'm actually a marketing professional. That's like my day job. Is I'm a publicist. Where where do you have the time to do all this other stuff? Holy shit! I don't sleep. Don't sleep. <laughs> Amazing. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Hope open for the Patreon to hit that right mark, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. You and me both, lady. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. Uh, before we get into the things that you do, I just have questions. You brought up a thing called Mookie's Kitchen before we started, and then you were about to explain it. And I said, "Shut the fuck up!" Like <laughs> you save that. It's too. Good. We were. I. I briefly. You. You bring up Vor, and I said, "Like, oh, I, I matched with a girl on Tinder who's in the cannibalism fetish, and I was gonna almost indulge her, and I was like gonna hear her out." And you were like, "Well, I actually used to be in this thing called Mookie's Kitchen." What? Well, not in it, in it. I was just, into I was, it. I was into it. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. fascinated by it. Um, what this is, is Mookie's like, Kitchen? So Mookie's Kitchen is a website that still exists, though I don't know if they still update. And it's a porn site that focuses on women being bound up like turkeys or uh, presented like a pig on a spit or... Um, I'm trying to think what else they had. Uh, oh, the like the the big cooking pot with a girl in it, mm. um, all of that kind of stuff. And what I liked about it was it encompassed bondage and like you know bodies all glistening and presented. And I was really into like um, uh, submissive positions and stuff like that. And it very much focuses on that. But then there's that additional kind of weird and quirky oh, you're preparing them to eat thing. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's so interesting. Like, why are people into this? And like, that was definitely a huge part of my sexual exploration as a teenager was like, I don't understand. I want to know more. Why do people do this? That's so cool and weird. If there was ever an argument for like to have just, and I'm not a big fan of the 
regulation argument but if there were an argument to regulate like porn access i think would be like we've got 15 year olds finding mookie's kitchen (laughs) god forbid they thought that's what sex is well i mean i think as long as one of the things that i appreciated about it was it's so obviously fantasy and it's very focused Mm. on consent weirdly enough because the girls um it's kind of there was a a guy who used to make comics about this called i want to say his name was dulcet and he would make comics about women who would like lose a bet or um, they would come of age of some kind. Like they lost the bet. Now I get the ear arm. They turn twenty one, and then they'd be like, "Oh, drat! I guess like I get I have to be eaten now." And it was always like very erotic for the women, and they were very consenting throughout the process, even though it was basically snuff porn. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. This idea of like consenting to something that most people would be like, "Oh God, no, absolutely not." But it's like. It would be very easy for it to be a horror thing or for it to be a fear-based thing. And having them go into it with enthusiasm was so strange. I, I, yeah, there's a f- very few fetishes I, I cannot wrap my mind around. That is one of them. I definitely have a few fetishes that I'm like, I don't understand. Oh, my God. Can, <laughs> can we shame some people real quick? Okay, cool. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Uh, sorry. It's not, we're not going to call it shaming, but we know what it is. It's no, Okay, we, we get Vor. My other one is centaurs. Pony play, fine. It's when you want to be a mythical creature like that. That's where I draw the line. Interesting. It's a very weird line, but that's you know that's why I've decided to make my arbitrary line at. Hey, you know that that's fair. I I don't really understand age play to be honest. Really? Yeah. For me, um, and I think it's because I've had partners who are really into age play, mm-hmm. and I found that the way that they interacted with me was extremely immature. And I'm all for age play if you are capable and willing to do emotional labor and to contribute when you're not in scene. But I kept dating people who are just like, no, I just want to be a baby all the time. And actually, my mom is the person who said to me, like, the reason you have a problem with this is real babies grow up. Adult babies don't grow up. Well, you talk to your mom about adult babies? Oh, absolutely. My mom used to read my blog. So, like, she would see my partner's penises before she even met them, like, all the time. (laughs) Oh, hi, Jim. You're the one with the the bar through it. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I hear that helps with oral. What? (laughs) We have a very open family. What was your family like growing up that you ended up this person that you are? Uh, my parents are both pagan, um, so I wasn't brought up with, oh like, any yes. weird religious stuff um, in terms of, like, physical shame or, like, sexual shame. So did you all celebrate Christmas, like, Christmas Day, but being like, oh, these silly people don't know how to do it, right? We definitely celebrated Christmas as, like, a celebration of capitalism and food. That was definitely our deal. <laughs> so we had, like, a religious celebration, but then we also had, like, Christmases for food and presents. At home, like, your parents explained what it really was about, and you're like, I'm seven. <laughs> they waited but, a little uh, bit longer but yeah pretty much okay what, what was uh what was the vibe around sex and sexuality growing up did you grow up out here no i grew up in massachusetts and um my parents gave me access to books like nancy friday's woman on top um i think the first porn that i ever saw was annie sprinkles sluts and goddesses so but like through your parents, but through my parents, I mean, my parents weren't like, here, watch this porn. But like, you know, like kids do, I would like sneak through their stuff and be like, oh, what's this? So I had like exposure to sexual material that was pretty feminist and women centered. Uh-huh. So I think that that really defined how I looked at sexuality. Yeah, you were like way ahead of the game. Like, Absolutely. You know, if, you're, if you're 15 watching Annie Sprinkle. 
Oh, I was like 11 watching Annie Sprinkle. I was very young. Why is she hugging the tree so tightly, mommy? (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. I was brought up with pagans. That was totally normal. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that's just what you do for the summer solstice. That's pretty much. Or Beltane, probably. But yeah. Did you meet other pagan kids? Yes. Yes. Actually, one of my oldest and dearest friends is a girl that I used to babysit. So you were the, the gal in college who got there to the dorms and were like, let me teach everyone about vibrators. Pretty much. I mean, that was honestly, our school sex ed girl. was so terrible that I was like that in middle school. Like, I definitely mm. had guys coming up to me who were like, oh, my God. Like, I woke up and my bed was all wet. Did I piss myself? What happened? I'd be like, oh, you probably had a wet dream. Let me tell you what that's about. Blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, oh. Oh, okay. I'm not dying. That's good. Like, I'm glad. <laughs> so how, but and now how do other kids, I don't know how other kids react to this stuff because other kids wouldn't talk to me when I was a kid, but how would other kids react to you being kind of like the, the de facto sex educator? Well, it was really strange because I was also very goth. So like, I was I like this very like, you know, romantic goth, black clad, goes to Hot Topic all the time kind of kid who also just knew everything about sex that you uh-huh. would ever want to know. And whatever I didn't know, I would go and learn about it and then come back and be like, oh, here's what I learned. Right. So um, kids were generally like a little trepidatious, but also really fascinated. Yeah, because they know it could go to you. And now you're you're this fabulous bright colored person i just realized that your eyeshadow matches your hair i love it uh, <laughs> thank you fucking fantastic and and now you get to do this uh professionally that you yeah. get to teach people about that stuff uh I, I was looking on your website you do lectures you do fucking ev- all these different types of topics which mm-hmm. i think is great uh the one that stood out to me was and this might be because i was like yelled at recently um it's called a hot guide to fat sex yes and i've been very much on the record i was like if sexy knows no age or weight you know like you know mm-hmm. the, some old women are hot some old women are not some young women are hot some young women are not skin there's there's hot and ugly skinny chicks they're hot and ugly fat chicks like it doesn't matter uh someone recently yelled at me on twitter as which is when you're gonna get yelled at of course that's where it will be and she was like mad that i did i was I was doing that meme. Have you seen it where there's like for every like I'll share a fact about myself? Oh, yeah. 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 So like one of the facts was like, oh, I just finished jerking off to um, to to chubby porn or something. And I distinguished that it was chubby, not BBW. And mm. then like a BBW cam girl got very mad. Be like, why do you need to distinguish? I was like, I don't know, because that's just what I was watching. That's. I mean, they're separate subreddits for yeah, it. No, yeah, and they, and they are, and they're different. And they're also not only are they different, but they're different in how the porn is made. Like mm-hmm. I was in porn for for quite a while. Oh, okay. I, yeah. So I found that like when I was doing BBW porn, a lot of companies wanted to work with me if I was willing to be called like a fat slut or like you know, be degraded for being fat. Mm. And I think a lot of people are turned off to BBW porn because it's meant to look humiliating, which it really shouldn't be. Yeah. So I think that there's definitely that aspect to it that you don't really get so much with chubby porn. It's just like, oh, okay, she's got like really thick thighs or like she's got really big boobs, whatever. I like but the But when you doughiness. get into BBW, like that's where it starts to get really degrading, mm. which I think is pretty messed up well I, t- I typically stick to my porn like through subreddits and mostly like self-submit stuff so like our chubby is just different from like our bbw and sometimes in our bbw mood sometimes in a chubby mood some of them sometimes i'm in an uh gone wild mood it kind of just depends what i'm <laughs> feeling that day i was like they're very uh separate that's, that's how i am with uh with pornhub 
Yeah. Like I try to I go to Pornhub to get a sampling for what sort of things I want to buy. So do you pay for your porn? Because this came up with Andre yesterday. Yeah. So what's your porn budget like? Um, it depends on who's making it. Honestly, like I'm much more likely to pay for porn if it is a independent company or if it's somebody, a performer doing it for themselves. That's definitely, it's not so much a budget so much as a, um, I don't know, it's like a political leaning almost. But, but do you have like a monthly budget that like you set aside, like when you're doing your finances, like this is how much I spend on groceries, here's how much I can spend going out, here's how much I can spend on porn? No, it no? just depends on when I'm bored with the porn I have and then I like say, all right, well, I guess I'll spend a hundred bucks in porn this year, this month, like whatever. Okay. I am not financially organized mm. enough to have that kind of budgeting in anything, do you, which I should probably work on. Do you support people through like, um, like a bigger site or do you go to their site specifically or like their Patreons or their cam girl sites or whatever? I'm definitely, like, I'm a Patreon person. Um, I use amateurporn.com a lot okay. for um, focusing on specific performers Um Depending on, I, I'm more of a picking specific clips kind of person rather than like paying for a membership site. Okay. Because um, a membership site's going to cover a lot of ground and there might be things that I'm really into and things that I'm not really into. So I'd rather just pick and choose the things that I really like, which also from a performer perspective tells the performer like, I like this, more of this, please. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like in a way it's a little easier for me to help like guide that person into making the porn I personally want to see. Of course, of course. So how'd you go from, uh, you know, high school sex educator to, to professional sex educator? What was that like? Through sex work, honestly. Mm. Um, I worked as a pro dom when I first moved to Oakland and I really hated the person who was like in charge of the dungeon because she didn't like the clients at all. She just felt that kinky people were weird and she just disapproved of them. She saw them as a market to capitalize on, not like... Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it was my community. Like, I was already, like, really active in the BDSM community. So I was like, well, I totally understand why these people like this stuff. Like, like, I feel warm towards them. Like, I care about them, and I want them to have a good time. She didn't care about that. So I went independent fairly quickly. I think it was, like, a month before I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to be independent. And a lot of what I did didn't matter what I marketed myself as or what I said I was going to do. I did a lot of hands-on sex education Mm. um, because I, especially when I moved to London and I became an escort, I was just like, I'm going to be an angry feminist sex worker. So if a guy who is a client is making out with me and they're not doing it well, I'm going to be like, stop, hang on. Let me show you how I like to be kissed. And then I was really surprised at how many guys were like, oh, cool. Thank you. You didn't get guys who would push back and be like, well, I'm paying and I like kissing this way. Not in the UK. Not in the UK. (laughs) Brits are way too gentle for that. They're too gentle? I would say like at least the clients I got, they were very, um, very sweet and genuine a lot of the time. So they wanted to learn. I attracted a lot of geeky guys. I attracted a lot of guys who didn't have a lot of experience. Um, for a period of time, a lot I worked, of Doctor Who fans. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> there was a client that is one of my favorite people who uh, we would cuddle and watch IT Crowd, and like that's that was what that's we would it. do. And um, eventually, we like tried making out, or I would masturbate while we were cuddling. Mm. And he was like, "Oh wow, this is amazing!" And I was like, "Oh, see, this is really sweet. Like I can They're help so you." They're so polite. 
I can help you learn how to have a sexual relationship with someone when you don't have that experience. So did you at some point like start like taking any classes or something? I mean, the path to being a sex educator, I've been finding at least like from doing this show and talking to so many different types is that there's the people who went like, I got this degree and I then went to graduate school and then I did this certification. Then there are people who are super self-taught. There are the people who are maybe or maybe not that legitimate there. I mean, there's all sorts of different paths, kind of like what comedy is like everyone has their different path. Absolutely. So, I mean, like what did you do to move to like that more professional capacity? Well, I'm a psychology and anthropology dual major. Mm -hmm. Um, and I focused a lot on, um, sexuality and anthropology and what different cultures could teach us about sexuality, which was because I was a sex worker and I wanted to better understand the different cultural uh, mores that came from different people that I saw. Mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of my sex work informed my sex education, which then informed my sex work. So right. it kind of became a loop. Um, I go to a lot of workshops. I learn from a lot of other sex educators. I ask a lot of questions. I read a lot of books. Um, I don't know that I necessarily feel academia is the best or only place to learn about sex education. I think that there's ways that psychology was very helpful for me in learning about limits and learning about boundaries. But in general, it takes really listening to people and hearing what they're saying between the lines, not just what mm. they're verbalizing, but the things that are coming up for them, reading their body language, that sort of thing. Now, you keep saying like you were uh, an escort. You are no longer an escort. No, I don't do escorting anymore. When did you retire? Uh, when I left the UK. Did you have a retirement party? Was there I cake? I didn't. I should have <laughs> had a retirement party. No, I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to stop being an escort. But when I moved back to the United States, uh, the legality issues were just so <laughs> scary for me that I was like... It's not worth it. Like, I'm doing all this activism. It's just going to... One of these things is going to damage mm. the other. London was, like, what age to what age? Uh, London was, let's see, 2007 to 2012. Okay. So I was, like, 23. So, like, out of college... Basically, like, your 20s out of college. Yeah. Was in London escorting, and then you come back here, you quit that. Um, and went into porn. And went into porn. Yeah. You were like, well, I can't do that form of the sex work, oh, but I can do this one. Let's just get a camera and look, it's legal. It's almost as if uh, it doesn't so make weird. sense why one is illegal and one's not. You no, know? absolutely. <laughs> um, why, and so there were no, if it was legal here, you would have kept escorting. Probably. Um, I think that there's also, the United States has a very different attitude towards uh, plus size bodies. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that a lot of the clients I had in the States were much more likely to threatened me if I said no to them. Um, the legality issues meant that I couldn't negotiate very specifically. Like in the UK, at least when I was out there, sex work was legal enough that I could literally put on an ad, this is what I expect to be paid for this action. Mm -hmm. But I can't do that in the States. And, and so many of the advertising websites have gotten shut down or raided by the FBI. I'm kind of glad that I made that decision. I mean, I can't say that when I was working in retail or when I was in marketing, if I said, no, these are my prices, I'd never had somebody say, like, isn't it interesting how many marketers end up in a dumpster every year? Like that kind of violence only happened around sex work. And people in the States don't like to tip. Like in the UK, that was not even an issue. Well, for me, I, as someone who has, has patroned a bit, I, I'm more of like a massage plus guy. I'm not, I, I'm not really into escort. Like I don't like paying for full service. But um, 
I've it depended on where I was going. Like if I'm going to Asian massage parlor where like I know that there's like a house, so to speak. Like if mm-hmm. I go to a casino, uh, you know, the the rake is going to the house, so I'm tipping the dealer. Right, right. So to speak. But when I go with independence, I ninety nine percent of the time don't tip because I'm like, well, it's all going to you. Like you are the house. Like uh I used to deal uh blackjack in my mom's basement. Oh, okay. Right. And so there is no house. Like all the money that those kids lost to me went to me. So I was never getting tipped as the dealer yeah. because, you know, so that's, that was always my, that's been my theory on tipping with sex workers. Like if they're independents, I'm like, well, that's your rate. But if you are in a collective, if you're at a spa or something, then I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to tip because I know that the price I'm paying is not all going to you. See, I always figure that with independents as somebody who's also booked sex workers, mm-hmm. That I know, having been an independent sex worker, some of that money is going to go to your marketing person. Sure. Some of that money is going to go to your hosting service. So, like, I'm automatically thinking, oh, okay. So, like, you're working with whatever your market rate is, which is not necessarily the rate that you need to survive. Mm. And some of this money, possibly even up to half, is already going to something else. And then that, and then never mind if you're paying taxes on top of that. Sure, sure. Taxes for a government that's going to criminalize you. So, like, I don't mind tipping because I'm like thinking about all that and if it's good service and you know I, I tip everybody for good service oh yeah so like i said 99 percent of the time like above and beyond service like i was out in uh where was i it was in is it somewhere in ohio a couple weeks ago i surprisingly got a massage i had like very low expectations because it's ohio i'm like well and because and that's just the new york snob in me i'm like well nothing is as good as the like look the hand jobs in ohio can't possibly be as good as the hand jobs in new york city i'm just saying <laughs> and so but like i was this one a phenomenal massage and i go to massage people massage plus girls I, the first thing i'm like can you give a massage right i don't want you to rub my back for 20 minutes and turn me over i want a real miss so give me the phenomenal massage i go into a fantasy land in my head of just like how good this is and the hand job technique was fantastic so like i tipped her like an extra 30 but i am in a uh, financial position i can't afford tipping i feel like uh like big tips like i can't afford to throw someone an extra 50 but i like to think if i became more successful that's something i could do yeah i mean i and i think that that's fair like i think that for me um, I mean, you know, this is part of why I went into marketing instead was that mm. it was much easier when the rates were just very simple. And it was like, this is what I'm doing. And this is how much you're paying me exactly like I did sex work in the UK, except now I'm like, you know, marketing for people instead. Um, that was easier than like the haggling or the I mean, I think as a sex worker, you feel kind of disappointed when you don't earn a tip because you're like, yeah. oh, I thought I was doing a really good job. Like, but it's true. Like, not all people can afford to tip. And so it gets really complicated like I know as a as a BBW sex worker I couldn't actually ask for the rate that I needed to make in order to maintain having an in-call mm-hmm. because the market just wasn't there and you used uh, separate in-calls you would never do at your own home right yeah no yeah. I, I, I try not to generally uh, do too much at my own home uh, <laughs> this is not a fuck uh, palace no <laughs> no <laughs> With all these board games, how is this not? I mean, to be orgy fair, central. To be fair, every time I have tried to throw an orgy, it's ended up a board game party. Every time I throw a board game party, it ends up being an orgy. I'm really not mad about that. So I, I think l- that there's something to that. It's like almost the the release of pressure of it not being about sex mm-hmm. makes it become about sex. You're trying to hook up, trying to get down and dirty, trying to get some no strings attached casual sex then you need to download the Pure Hookup app. The Pure Hookup app takes away all the ambiguity of other swiping apps and lets you know that anyone who's on there is on to get down. 
Log on, get matched up with someone sexy, and and find out what they're into so you can get into it tonight. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be asking them is like, hey, are you really into a rubbing healing ointment onto butt cheeks? Because honestly, that's really kind of what I need right now. <laughs> I want to thank the Pure Hookup app for sponsoring the Man Whore Podcast. Go support the people who support me. Go download the Pure Hookup app on the App Store or Google Play. Pure. The hookup app for awesome people. We all need to take a little bit better care of ourselves. You know, some self-care, some aftercare. Hey, maybe you're coming down from subspace. Your mental health is important for a full and satisfying love life. And that's why I'm telling you about today's sponsor, Talkspace, the online therapy company. They make it easy to connect with an experienced, licensed therapist handpicked just for you. For as little as $32 a week. Jesus, that's a steal. Uh, I, I actually love this idea. You can send your therapist text, audio, and video messages whenever you want, and you can even schedule a live video chat. You, you really don't have an excuse anymore to not get therapy. To sign up or to learn more, go to Talkspace.com slash manwhore, or download Talkspace on the App Store or Google Play. And as a special offer for my listeners, you can use coupon code MANHOR to get $30 off your first month, and you'll be showing support for this podcast. Again, make sure you use the coupon code MANHOR for $30 off your first month. Talkspace. Therapy for how we live today. Now back to the show. What's the difference between, like, uh, I guess, let's say the market, so to speak, of, like, BBW uh, sex workers and let's just say average for mainstream, whatever word you want to use, your typical uh, sex worker. It can be like up to $200 even, um, sometimes more. A difference of. Yeah, You mean more or less? Less. Less. And that's also true if you're trans or if you're a male sex worker, you generally can ask Mm. for less um, or have to ask for less if you're... um, black or brown you generally have to ask for less and that's just because of prejudice you mm-hmm. know like there's a belief of who is worth paying that money for and who isn't now i'm i'm an i'm a moron so what do i know but like isn't there something to be said that like for something like a bbw like you can actually charge more for being like fetishized Sometimes it's really tricky because I think that it's a fetish that involves a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with somebody's shame, then they feel bad that they're interested in this anyway. And so trying to ask for more on top of that makes them feel even more shame because now they feel financially shamed as well as like emotionally shamed. So I think that that's part of where some of the violence comes from is this like anger of like, how dare you think that you're worth this? Okay. Well, so you stop doing escorting, you get into porn, but then you also stop doing porn, correct? For the most part. Occasionally, if somebody asks me to do something, I'll do it. Like, but it has to be something I'm really interested in. How the lifestyle, did your lifestyle change much? Like quitting sex work? Was that something that you had no. to at all get used to? No, not really. I mean, when I was living in London, being an escort, like a huge part of the reason why I did it was I was living in an attic for like 200 pounds a month. So it was super cheap. And it meant that I could see one client and then do whatever I wanted for the rest of the month. Mm. And that was great. So I think that here, uh, you know, it was very similar. It's like I like working as much as I have to in order to survive and then having extra time to do the things I really care about. Okay. 
Was your uh, what's your relationship been with your body? Like, were you always just super confident with your body being raised by the pagans? They were like, "Look, actually, the gods want you to be like this. This is uh, fantastic." What what what's always uh like? When did you get super fucking? Because I'm still not confident about this fucking body. I gain five pounds, I lose my mind. I definitely go back and forth. I mean, like, I'm sort of known for being a fat activist, and I'm known for being really confident. Well, you do a lecture called uh, "A Hot Guy to Fat Sex." So yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and I and I talk a lot about that. But I think it's really important to recognize that everyone struggles with their body mm. sometimes. And that is really important. I think one of the things that is really difficult um, that I've noticed, especially among fat activists or sex educators, is when your body isn't doing the thing that you want it to do, or if you have any kind of like dysphoria between who you think you are and who other people see you as, it can be really difficult to reconcile that. And that can cause a lot of emotional distress. What's your relationship with the word fat? Uh, some, I like it, yeah. but I understand not everybody does. Mm -hmm. I like it because it's short and succinct and like I don't have a problem with fat. I think fat, like foods with fat in it is awesome. Butter's great. Butter. Bacon. <laughs> Bacon is amazing. Chips. Uh, Cookies, pork I belly. Could, I like, could really <laughs> go on and on. I feel like I'm gaining weight just saying skin. these things out loud. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've always just liked it just as a descriptor and people that are like, oh, why, why the euphemistic language? Like, let's, yeah. let's say say a thing, what it is, what it is, you know? Because um, at some point, those the euphemisms, and not for bodies, just for bodies, but for anything, they, just, they start to get silly, you know? And I think not only do they start to get silly, but they start to do the stigmatizing that you're trying to avoid. Well, what was it? The, there's the euphemistic treadmill. Is that what it's called? I think I read it. I saw. Oh, I don't know. Read, I haven't heard of this. So uh, Doug Stanhope is a comedian I just adore. Uh, probably piss off almost everyone in like our communities or, <laughs> or worlds, right? Um, he did a bit in his like newer special on CISO and it was about the euphemism treadmill. There was like a... I looked it up. It was like a real thing. And it was how and he was doing it with the words like retarded. That was where mm. he was coming from. Um, and how retarded was actually used to be uh, the, the proper term for mentally disabled. It was it was created in reaction to I think the word was moron or in, so mm -hmm. idiot. it was like one of those that used to be the proper one and it became a slur. And so they changed it to retard. Then retard became like the slur and then they changed it mentally disabled. It's like, he's like, you're, it's just, you're going to keep changing it. He's like, whatever you say it is, we're going to figure out a way to call that to my friend who trips when he's drunk. Like at some point, we're always just going to use that word to call him that. Uh, so eventually you can make it super specific, like about someone's like specific chromosome deficiency, multisyllabic um, condition. And eventually that will become the slur. But see here, I would just use the word clumsy. Clumsy got boring, I guess, at some point. I mean, I don't know. I'm well, okay. I will admit, I don't watch stand up comedy because I swear to God, I would break my laptop. Most stand up <laughs> comedy makes me so angry, and I don't see it in person mm -hmm. because I know I would beat somebody up. I know it. I get that. But with the rise of the amount of specials coming out on Netflix, I think what, what's great, some people complain about, like, oh, this person doesn't deserve a special. Fuck off. Like, who cares? What's nice is that um, a combination of the internet make and and the 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 lower cost of production and being able to get thing on things like Netflix and CISO and the rise of like social activism and people being aware like there are these generations of comedians and some older comedians who have learned like a Patton Oswald for example mm -hmm. They are, um, there's comedy now for someone like you who would break your laptop watching Doug Stanhope. Yes. So it's like <laughs> there is now stuff that is funny um, 
that is for someone like you. I mean, it may not always be 100% the thoughts that you have, but I mean, that comedy is supposed to kind of challenge you no matter what your thoughts are. And so what would be nice is like you see someone who you're like, oh, this person totally gets it. And then they do one bit that kind of maybe pushes your thoughts on a thing and makes you think differently and, and taps into something uncomfortable. And it does make you laugh, but part of you feels bad for laughing. Like e there's even something I find for you. And I, this came up with Andre yesterday. It was like, uh, social activism 101 is like one type of person uh, and y'all are like social activism 401 and I say like I try to stick with the 101 because like 401 is not very funny um, and yeah like <laughs> no I get told I am a humorless feminist all the time I literally have a tattoo that Stop says it. feminist killjoy oh like, but see for me that's where my humor is like yeah. I don't mind poking fun at myself I don't mind being like yeah like I, yeah. nothing is funny to me I never laugh or smile ever like I think my face would just like just break off if I tried and like if somebody talks to me they're like oh okay that's not true but I think when people try to challenge me on like yeah but slurs are funny I really like looking at them and being like explain to me why that's funny and a lot of the time people are like yeah when I try to explain it it's actually really fucked up well the, th <laughs> what the thing with humor is a lot of times it's it's a stress relief so it's something that's tapped into us whether it's collectively as a society or us personally like absolutely you know it's it's supposed to poke at things in my opinion a lot of good stand-up pokes at things that um are a little taboo and they're uncomfortable and it's a release it's like oh well he said it thank god but it also makes you think i mean think about things like george carlin did like it see one of the things that i did i mean to be a feminist killjoy sure. for a minute Please, um bring it there's actually been studies about humor and people who listen to homophobic or racist jokes have a tendency to make homophobic and racist decisions mm -hmm. And they wouldn't say that they're homophobic or racist, but there's that normalizing of that, that they then enact whether they're conscious of it or not. So I really like challenging that. And like, I understand, I mean, I'm working with juggalos this summer to talk uh -huh. to them about activism. Like I deal with this a lot. And my boyfriend has had to tell me like, you need to back off. You have to understand that these people aren't academics. Like, they're they on don't, our team. Don't drive them team. away. They just don't necessarily know the language yet. They don't know how this is messed up, but here's a way that you can go in and here's a way that you can reach them. So I'm learning to up my tolerance mm -hmm. because I don't want to be such a leftist that I end up shutting down people who might be on my side. Right. But it's really hard because I'm, I'm, I'm an activist on Twitter. Like people are jumping on you all the time for everything. And I think that call outs are good. Like when somebody calls me out on something I say for me, I'm like, great. Like, thank you for educating me. Like, I'm going to go read about that and learn more. Like, I don't take it as like, you know, fuck you, you're a terrible person. Even if someone's telling me, fuck you, you're a terrible person. It's like, oh, that's something I haven't thought about. So I'm going to learn some more about that. You know, thanks for the heads up. On, and what, what I'm interested in that study is that it's uh, I think what's important is like, what are they classifying as homophobic or racist mm -hmm. jokes? Because there are jokes that are about they're about homophobia and they may even use like like slurs they may use words like faggot or dyke but they're not homophobic at its core like of the core of the writing of the joke For sure it's right? whether it punches up or punches down and so right? what i'm curious about is and i don't know i the punch up punch down thing i'm just like everyone's like well punching down means like you're not supposed to make fun of like the the black person who gets shot by the cops or the chick who gets raped i'm like show me like a professional comedian who's like saying ha ha she got raped 
in a joke fa- like in a joke format. It was like that doesn't exist. So I'm confused on the punch up, punch down. But on the study, I'm curious to see where are they classifying because if you just say like, well, any joke that has the word faggot in it is automatically a homophobic. I joke. think it was very specific about punching at people who are black or punching mm-hmm. at people who are gay. So that the punchline was about their gayness or their blackness. And from what I'm noticing, what I see is I think there's just there's just less and less of that that's like out there because it's like yeah. I think comedians are getting I'm sure Pan Oswald Pan Oswald stuff in the nineties was like very different than Pan Oswald now because like he is he's socially aware, he's conscious, he like he's talking about the things, but he will do jokes about like the 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 glossary it's like i can't keep up with the glossary it's like i'm very i'm pro trans and pro this and i'm all and always trying to learn and and be more inclusive but like don't jump on me right away and they did this wonderful uh act out it was like here's two people tell me one of them is a bad person and what the first person uses all the proper terms every politically correct thing but if you actually listen to what and decode what he said they said like yeah straight people should be like or like morally superior and then the second person had this like typical hick southern accent use like fag and tranny this right but like was it but he's saying all these bad words but he's saying do whatever you want to do like if two fags want to get married or i don't know dude wants to be a chick boom like you just got to respect you got to live with that guy he's like definitely the area that i'm learning to like Take a deep breath and be right. like, have some compassion for the... F- I mean, I think it's okay for people to be angry about that. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. I think it is important, at least for me, as someone who has a lot of privilege, sure. as somebody who's white and cisgendered, to take the time to like break that down for somebody being like, hey, like I get what you're saying and that's awesome, but let me explain to you why maybe you want to phrase it this way. Yeah. And generally, people are very open to that as long as you're not like coming in guns blazing. Yeah. One of the stories I like to recount, when I was running a gay-straight alliance at my school, um, back in uh, high school. Well, good for you. Our high school wouldn't let us have one. Uh. Yeah, they didn't let us have one either. I found out that legally they were required to give me one in Massachusetts at the time. Public school? Yes. So I marched into the principal's office and said, hey, I just want to let you know that I just learned about this law. And you have to not only give me a gay straight alliance, but you have to give me the same funding that you give to all the other clubs. And an so advisor and all that. We shit. could yeah. either have a gay straight alliance or what I would prefer is that we have a lawsuit because that would do amazing things for my career. And the guy was like, OK, fine. Have a gay straight alliance. Good for like, you. That's fine. But then what was interesting is I, I was in the like remedial math class because I hated math and I didn't want to learn anything about math. I just wanted to sleep through my math classes because, I mean, God. High school, you're getting up at like six in the morning. Like, there's no way you're I was like, going to pay attention. Like, math's only fun if the teacher's hot. Come on. Yeah, and and you know, it was just it was super boring for me. So I remember complaining to one of my friends who was also in this class that like people were ripping down the gay straight alliance posters that we had put up. And I remember one of the guys on the football team turned to me and he's like, "You know what? I'm going to find out who what fags are ripping down your gay posters. I'm going to beat the shit out of them." And I was like, "Thank you. I appreciate what you're saying." Maybe try using this instead, but thank you. But And, and like and my, by sandwiching that feedback too, he was like, all right, cool. Yeah, whatever. You know, like he got it, but it was like, I had to be like, don't yell at him for using those words, but explain to him what he could use instead. Mm. I mean, and I would say for me, I find that I try to do a lot of that explaining because I don't have as much skin in the game. Like mm-hmm. if I don't have as much skin in the game and I cannot be personally angry I am much more effective at communicating. But I also give a lot of room for, I mean, my wife is trans. Mm. A lot of my friends are people of color. Like, I understand why people are pissed. Like, I totally get that. And so that's why I try to do that work so that they don't have to. 
so that like not only can I help try to bring people over, but I can also give them space to be angry without feeling like they have to now educate this person. Sure. And so that's kind of how I try to be a good person working in allyship Mm -hmm. while also like acknowledging like, yeah, there are people who this is too hurtful for them and that's okay. 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 I think it's important to have both, but I can afford that. You know, like if it's something, if someone's like talking shit about my fatness, like I'm probably going to flip the flip the fuck out, you know, like, because that's very personal to me. But if a a skinny person wants to come in and be like, hey, like, that's not cool. And here's why. Awesome. Great. And then I don't have to do it. And I can be angry and like not make it worse for myself by arguing with this person. Right. (laughs) It almost always makes it worse for me. Because it's personally tied to you. Because it's personally tied. Yeah. Okay. I see that. I see that. I think it's just like, you know, again, it's, I think it's just really important because as a straight white guy with all my, I said at the top of a throne of privilege, I got myself a velvet cushion because it feels nicer, <laughs> helps with the hemorrhoids, right? And it's just, uh, I, you, you don't want, I, I am in a rare, it's one of the only places where I can say like, you don't know what it's like to be like at the top of the privilege ladder to, cause say it's like when you feel like you're on the right side of things, you have the right opinions, but you get yelled at cause you slip up with a word usage and it's, you know, again, it's. Maybe it seems like we're dumb and you're like, oh, I don't want to fucking babysit a child by going like, oh, it's okay. Just try to use this next time. And sometimes you won't fucking be angry. Be like, fuck you. But it's like, I know I look like the enemy. But when you treat like the enemy, I feel like that's how like a men's rights subreddit gets populated oh, absolutely. by guys who just like got yelled at too much when they tried to be, they tried to do the right thing and they got yelled at too much instead of well, being talked to. This is actually a, a great link to my book. Perfect, because that's a, what I was trying to get to. <laughs> a huge part of the book is about acknowledging when you fuck up and like how to acknowledge that you fucked up without taking it personally and feeling like that means you're a terrible person. Like a lot of the people, what they're writing about, and it well, covers... Well, let's, let's first say you have a book Yes, let's say I have a out, book. And it's yes. called what? <laughs> it's called Ask yeah. Building Consent Culture. It's mm-hmm. an anthology about different people's ideas about what makes a consent culture and how to create it in day-to-day life. Okay. And it covers a lot of different ground. Um, I love that I don't necessarily agree with everyone in the book, but I wanted to give everybody a chance to like express themselves and say what their thoughts are. Nobody offers a prescriptive idea of like, this is how it should be done. Mm. They're all offering suggestions on like, here's how you could do better, but this is just my idea. Yeah. So, and I really appreciate it. And, and I want to, I want to jump back. I want to go back to the, uh, to the, you have people who you disagree with in a little bit, but I want you to continue your point you were about to say before. Oh yeah. So like a big part of that, I think, and actually the zine that I'm doing to go along with the book, I'm doing a zine. So- Where do you have time for anything? <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, I don't sleep. Um, and I have an Adderall prescription. I'm sure that helps to be honest. Let's be real. But Um, The zine that I'm writing is called So You've Been Called Out, Now What? And like a big reason I'm writing this is because I've learned a lot from being called out and like I really value it. What on earth could you be called out for? I get called out on all kinds of things. Like Uh I say, I, you know, I use slurs that are considered ableist because I don't necessarily think about them. Which Um, Which ones do you use? Like I've used stupid you know, and I try to avoid using Wait, that. Wait, we can't use stupid anymore either. I have I have friends who have family who are development, developmentally disabled. And so I try to use like ignorant because usually what I mean is ignorant. Mm-hmm. People who could choose to be educated and choose not to be. But what if I mean stupid and not mentally disabled? Because we know there's, they're not in that class. They're just stupid. 
Like there is there's stupid a, is a stupid like we know that there's stupid out there. There is actually there has to be a, a word I can use. There is a really good blog that actually goes through a whole list of words you can use instead of various ableist slurs. I feel like George Collin where I'm like, all I wanted was a list. Just tell me which words I can say. Exactly. Like, and you know what? I think that's really important. And that's a big thing that I want to do with this uh, so you got called out thing is that I think the reason why a lot of people fuck up when they get called out is because there is no guidebook. There is no place to go to be like, I've been called out to you guys. I understand. It sucks. Like, here's how you respond to it in a way that legitimizes what the other person is saying and gives you an opportunity to grow while also like not like ignoring what this person's saying. Because we usually get defensive. If somebody calls us out, we want to be like, nah, I'm a fucking great ally. Fuck you. That's usually not helpful. Mm-hmm. And that just makes the argument go on longer. So what can you do instead? And what I wanted to do is not say you should do something else, but say what exactly you should do. <laughs> So, um, so is yours, so is the, what you should do, are you talking more like, um, conceptually or like logistically? Like here's logistically fucking. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I, the I whole ne- zine is going to oh, be like, I need- boom, boom, boom. This is what you do. This is what I found that works. I mean, I don't do want, I don't want you to have to go through all the things now. So they never check out the zine unless you're down to do that. Cause I am like apparently always in trouble. I am, uh, <laughs> when I finish the zine, I'll send it to you. Oh, okay. It's not out yet. <laughs> it's no, not done. No. I am hundred percent reading that because I am allegedly a proven misogynist. And I, I got and accused I, of being a white supremacist literally earlier this morning. <laughs> I woke up, this I woke up and somebody said that I was a white supremacist and I'm like, I am a really active, like black lives matter activist Look at my poster. Who also does a lot of Antifa (laughs) stuff. But no, please tell me why you think that. Like, I I appreciate that I benefit from white supremacy. But then I looked at their profile. I was like, oh, you're a white dude. You're not saying this because you actually care. You're saying this because you just want to needle me. Never mind. They made me think that I was like, maybe I don't know the actual definition of misogyny. Like, maybe I technically am. Like, let's look it up. And it said I had to have contempt for women as a gender and I had to hate women. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This person's just a moron. They're calling me. I was like, it's I, I don't hate women. I just hate these three specific women. And it's not because they're women. It's because I don't I don't like them. Well, uh, see, and this <laughs> is one of the things I think is really important is that a lot of times we we talk about not people's behaviors, but them personally. And what I try to do and what's going to be part of the zine is like call out people's behaviors because they may, like, for example, it's not that you're a misogynist. It's that maybe you did something misogynist. But can or maybe you did be, something tainted in misogyny. I w- tainted in misogyny, I like better. Because I don't think you can do a misogynist thing if, again, well... Mm. I guess you could, but like you but, absolutely. But can. if you do the misogynist thing again, like misogynist means you have to have contempt for or hate. For, so it has to be you're doing it because they're a woman. Well, see, because the, I, I mean, think- I'm just going by the, what I looked up in the dictionary. I again am an idiot, so who knows? <laughs> I just go by what that big book of words said and said I had to hate women. And I'm I totally think- going to send you the list of things to use instead of ableist slurs. By sure, the way. sure, <laughs> I, I will hap- I will ha- I will happily read that. Um, <laughs> but what I think is what I think is interesting is that. Oftentimes we perpetuate these systems of oppression without even realizing Mm. we're doing it. Like I spent a long time where I was like, oh, I don't have friends who are girls. Bitches are crazy. (laughs) And I didn't have contempt for women. It wasn't concentrated like that. I wasn't thinking about it like that. I liked women. I dated women. But it was rooted within this contempt for women that I had learned and grown up with. 
And so that's where I started to be like, oh, wait, it's not that I'm a misogynist necessarily, unless I'm repeatedly doing the behavior. It's that I am doing a misogynist thing. These, and I could change that. And it's just, uh, it's rooted in the core just because of what our society, this came up with Andre also yesterday, but with sex workers, how uh, she ha- she doesn't escort and she has, you know, she was also like, oh, you know, I totally respect you want to do that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But just in the language used where she, fr- you know, she phrased as she has never crossed that line. It was like that phrase cross that line, like at the root of it comes from like, oh, well, like I would never, even if she doesn't mean it that way. It's like that language comes from all of that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's why I like to talk about behaviors instead, because mm-hmm. I think. If you say that it's about somebody's identity, it feels a lot more unchangeable. But when you say, well, this is a behavior you're doing, and I think you could cut that out, people are like, yeah, all right. Like, it's not important to me that I say this thing. It's not important to me that I perpetuate this thing. Um, so, yeah, sure, I can, I can stop doing yeah. that. And I think that's a lot more accessible. But, I mean, like, the caging of all of that language is way fucking academic. And so it's figuring out ways to bring that up to people that they understand that it doesn't feel like I'm talking down to them, mm-hmm. which is super important. Time for the fan whore appreciation moment. What's up? Uh, this is the pot of, this is the pat. Uh, all of a sudden, I got very Boston. Uh, this is the pot of the podcast. Well, I have to thank some people uh, for <laughs> for supporting me and the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. What's up, Derek? And in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, where the fan whores pledge. Okay. Uh, CJK, who I've met, uh, he's a very tall individual. Way to be really tall. Like, I want to say good job on the tallness. You're killing it. Keep talling it up. Okay. Uh, Making me feel short. Michael P., another Australian fan whore. Uh, One of these days, I'm going to make it out to that big old island of yours and, and tell some funnies. Shimena, which I don't know how to say probably saying it wrong it starts with an xi uh but really i just want to say hey xoxo uh thank you so much for your pledge and samantha i'm looking forward to meeting you this october at manhorcon very excited about that and i'm very excited about your support uh you're all a lot of you are going to enjoy a bonus episode with kitty striker tomorrow uh, for anyone pledging at the five dollar and up levels and you two can join the club and uh, meet us in the champagne room on our super secret Facebook group by joining my fan whore community on Patreon. You can join the club for as little as $1 per month if you visit patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And now let's get back to the show. As someone who's on that side of things, who like is maybe aware, but also a moron, whichever, whichever thing. I'm just going to try to get this. is My last chance I can use all these. Stars. I'm going to use them now before I read this list and I know better. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, um, for example, when people say like, this definitely made me think more about um, word usage. And although I am a big fan of intent and context over here's a word with these syllables because of one for one thing that euphemistic uh, treadmill and various other things. Um, someone says like, are you, do you real, are you really attached to that word? Like, do you really have to use that word? And I was like, and sometimes the answer is yes, but sometimes like, oh shit, you're right. Like, I don't really need to, I'm not like married to it. Yeah, totally. And so although it maybe didn't completely change me, it did make me like conscious. Yeah. And sometimes I will change my word usage because of that. And sometimes I won't. And so I think, uh, if you want to, um, become accessible to, people 
closer on my end of the spectrum. It might be, you know, maybe not make a rule like can't use the word because it feels like you're taking a thing away that maybe we don't understand yet why. But mm-hmm. if you at least like throw in some like context and things I like, like that. I like using context and I like substituting yeah. things like saying, well, instead of this, what about this? Because then it gives people like, oh, instead okay, of potato chips, that. you can have a salad, or it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe instead of potato chips, you can have fries. A, a, sometimes um, that that's a fair trade. A dialectic diet. Uh, mm. <laughs> I tried to throw. I think I just made up a word. Uh, dumb. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, it's. I think it's just so important to figure out how to get like your side, your side of the spectrum to like meet the the mainstream general population mm-hmm. um because i think that's how that's how we convert people onto the army and that's how we bow the people who are like really the problem you know because yeah. infighting i mean i wake up today i see late and i don't know how you feel about lacy green but like you know today lacy green's continued to be in some sort of shit storm and i'm just like is this the fight we need to do now like can we do this like can we do can we table this one for when we have a little bit of a better political climate, maybe when like... The- I'll say this on Lacey Green. The only reason I would say no is because I, I, as an Antifa, anti-fascist sure. activist person, like I know that if she decides that she is sided with like red pillars and MRAs and 4chan, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly... That means that every sex educator she ever has gotten in contact with where she has their phone number or she has their legal name mm-hmm. or she has their address is in danger. Uh, why, like hacking or something? Doxing. Absolutely. Because well, that I mean, is that's like her, a huge You technique. mean incidentally not because... Not necessarily from her, but if she's dating... I mean, what I understand is she's dating somebody who would really love to have that information. Okay. And so like, I understand why people are like, okay. let's take there's that, some danger there. Let's take that factor out of it because the whole dating someone in it that's that's like a fucking curveball one thrown in yeah but like, yeah she and she could be anyone else who gets yelled at for like something that may not seem minor to the person who like that's their cause because when when everyone's got like their cause like you got like that one thing that's at the tip top and you're just like if you see something touch it you're like oh that, that, that activated i wish me, i right? only had one cause right but there's there's always <laughs> there's a thing where it's like that's like your thing and there's other things you can be passionate about and that you support but like there's always like you got that thing right um and so if somebody whether it's lacy green or like buck angel or some or who you know whoever else some sort of educator who has a tiff with this certain community. Because mm-hmm. in doing the show, I've been like meeting people who like, if there's anything I've learned and has made me feel better about all the problems I, I problem that I am, it's that like no one's perfect to the entire sex world. So it's like, okay, cool. So it's like, I can't win. So I'm just going to try to lose as little bit as possible. It's fine. Um, so I'm just like, kind of like with like someone like that. I'm like, do we have to do that fight now? There is definitely that. And I think a lot of people, I mean, like, here's the thing that I think is the problem with call out culture. And again, uh-huh. this is a big reason why I put together a book around like, consent I'm really, culture. I'm really, I'm with well, the consent culture. I'm, I'm I want to, we're going to talk about, but I'm very excited to learn about this zine because it yeah, well, sounds fantastic. So one of the things that I've discovered is that call out culture could be really healing and really great. Most of the time, what is happening that's called call-out culture is actually just bullying. It's just you run out, you be like, you throw out one tweet, be like, hey, fuck you, and then you run away. Yeah, like, and so for me, what defines call-out culture is, do you genuinely care about this person learning and doing better? Mm-hmm. And are you giving them a strategy to do that? And most of the time, that's not happening. Most of the time, you're just saying like, 
fuck this person. They're terrible. They do terrible things. We should just isolate them from the community. I will tell you from my years of experience of this in BDSM community, that means that people don't learn anything. They just go find another community and are continuing to be a shithead there. Mm. So what I want to do is I want to help educate and like help people grow, help them evolve. And for me, that is integral to call out culture versus being a bully. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have that. Um, I feel like call out culture can only really happen within a community and a community is based in mutual care, mutual accountability and mutual responsibility. And if you don't have those things, if you don't care about this person, if you think they should die in a fire, probably not the best person to call them out because you're just going to like be like, fuck you, you're trash. And that's going to make you feel temporarily better maybe, but it's not really going to help educate that person on what they're doing wrong. And it seems like you've been integrating this whole, like, uh, instead of just calling someone out and being mad, like you've integrated some people you disagree with, with your book. I mean, so mm-hmm. obviously, so it's, it's not like a, you know, here's what consent is. It's different people's thoughts on it and how the fix consent or more create a consent culture. Um, what are some, what were some of the opinions that you disagreed with? I think it's wonderful that you included Sides that you just flat out disagree, which is like, that's how we have conversations. I think that sometimes it was it was about language being used that I would be like, oh, that's not really how I would approach it. Uh Um, I don't want to call any of the authors out because like that would feel really uncomfortable. I'd rather have a conversation with them like one on one. But I would say that there are people in there that I was like, eh, I guess that's a way to respond to that. That's not necessarily how I would do it, but I appreciate that that's your way. What was uh, what was like one of those ways or one of those concepts that you disagree with? So you're not calling the person out. We'll just read the book and we're like, oh, that was the person she disagreed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, there was there's one piece that talks about um, rape culture and like who gets away with rape and who doesn't. And some of the things that the writer was talking about, I was like. Mm, you're saying that race doesn't really play into this as much as people say it does, but I actually think it does. I think it absolutely weighs into why some people have stricter consequences than others. And so that was an area that I was like, I don't know that I agree with that, but I appreciate that that's your opinion. And honestly, like I'm a white person. So like my voice on this is not necessarily as important. So like, okay. That's great that that's how you feel, and I think that that is important to to mention. And some people might agree with you, and some people might be like, "No, no." And is that more about like, um, you know, like non-white dudes, but probably more specifically like black dudes, because those are the quote unquote scary ones that some people. Is that like they get accused of rape or like get tougher yeah, rape senses? Yeah, and like you know the idea that um, I've yet to see. You know, it's they aren't considered redeemable in the same way, uh-huh. or like if they do something. I mean. Which also isn't necessarily true across the board. Like Chris Brown is doing just fine, unfortunately, despite the fact that he is but a massive a, abuser. But also a fantastic dancer. So it's like, yeah, that might be. <laughs> if you can throw a football real good or dance to a beat. You ha- you're people redeemable. will excuse a lot. Or you know, if you're Brock Turner, then I was gonna you know, say we, there really is no black Brock Turner. Like we're not seeing any like these college age rapists who no. like get off light that are also black like that's no unless they're an athlete really there's right. there, like there has to be an excuse to an extent that there just isn't for white people white mm-hmm. men can just 
get white women can get away with a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about how we photograph them in the media and like, you know, white people are generally looked at as very innocent and it's like, Oh, here's a, here's their school picture while black people, it's always their mugshot. Like, so there's this very different way in which the whole thing is conceptualized. Um, I try to think a lot about consent culture in terms of systems of power and how that plays out. But that's part of being an academic. And so I understand that not everybody comes from that perspective. And I think it's really, really important if we genuinely want to create a consent culture to include people who are not academics, who are talking about what they see in their experience, whether or not it's caged in the right phrasing or has the right like language or... I don't know the uh, even if it leaves things out that an academic would be like, oh, wait, but what about this thing? Like, I think it's important to say, hey, people who didn't have the money to go to university get to be a part of this conversation, Mm -hmm. too. That's really fucking important. What types of people uh, contributed to the book? It's a huge variety. I'm really excited about um, there are people who are in their 70s who are in the book. There are people who are in their 20s who are in the book. about half the book are uh, people of color, mostly black people. Okay. Um, and that was very purposeful. I actually put the uh, call for submissions out to uh, people of color and trans non-binary people first. So they had two extra months to submit. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason for that is that when I was looking at books about rape culture, almost all of it was written by like white cisgendered women. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Okay, so you've had your chance. Like, you've had plenty of places to write this. I want to give other people a chance. Like, let's do that. And I'll focus on that first. And then I'll fill in the blanks with white people because... You know, like grout. I'll just sort of fill them in. Yeah, like our our, that perspective is already out there. And and your book is going to give other ones i mean where yes i think so (laughs) yeah okay that's any names uh that you know listeners might recognize any big personalities um well carol queen wrote the afterword and laurie penny wrote the forward um which is awesome and i love that the forward and the afterword are like there's such a big age range there i think that's really neat um Roz Caveni is a writer who um is a trans woman living out in London and she writes a lot about pop culture. Um she's known for writing pop culture critiques of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Battlestar Galactica. So I'm really excited to have her on board because it's like so different from like sex educators. Mm-hmm. Um I have Virgie Tovar who is a uh fat activist and she's fucking amazing and uh one of my good friends. So I'm happy to have her there. Uh, my wife is in it. Okay. Um, Jetta Ray. She writes about wrestling and consent, which is like a really interesting section that I, like it wouldn't have even occurred to me, but it talks a lot about consent to harm and how capitalism sort of encourages us to consent to harm in order to have a job mm-hmm. and how that complicates ideas about consent and coercion. Um, and that and that one can go back fucking forever. Just I mean, yeah. I'm, right now I'm reading a book about the relationship between Andrew Carnegie and and uh, Henry Clay Frick. So like I'm reading like a lot of, like you know steelworker shit and like mm-hmm. the the all the hazardous stuff through there. But like, well, I got to make a living. Yeah, um, and it's very similar to sex work. She actually wrote mm-hmm. a piece about how sex work and pro wrestling have very similar um, issues and concerns and why they should both be unionized. Oh, um, Simon Maxine's in the book as mm-hmm. well. Um, Cinnamon is like uh, the first person I ever did a porn scene with and uh, they write an amazing piece about white fragility that I thought was really cool and explains to white people like here's how to be a better person in allyship. Here's some things that you should think about. 
So that's I mean, neat. But you really shouldn't fragile shame. You know, it's like that's really not. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't want snowflakes to get all <laughs> melted, I guess. Like. Were there any uh, topics that came up like in putting together the book you maybe hadn't thought about when it came to consent? Or are you just like the fucking pro that you were like, nah, I, I, I knew all this. No, I, a lot of the pieces, like I hadn't thought about the wrestling angle and that was really exciting. Um, uh, this person, Kate Fractal, wrote a piece about LARPing, a uh, live action role play and mm-hmm. consent and the ways that those intersect, which I thought was really interesting. Um, let's see. I mean, like there's Did- some that's more like obvious, like there's some about like... Um, consent at sex parties like that's a pretty like okay yeah of course there's uh there's the gray area of consent um the human x factor of obtaining consent does that come up uh, much in this book yes absolutely um i mean it's going to be really weird to say but like i honestly learned a lot about consent from a particular uh activist who goes by rad trans femme and i thought that initially I thought that she was a radical feminist who was trans, which I thought was really intriguing and weird, but she's actually a trans feminist who is radical, which I think makes a lot more sense. Anyway, (laughs) a lot of the things that she talks about does feed off of like a sex negative uh, understanding of sexuality. And one of the things that she talks about the most is that under a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, is it ever possible to get 100% consent? She doesn't think so. And I think that's really Y'all interesting. Y'all can't see me rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> but see, I think that that's really interesting because it takes into account that, you know, there are societal pressures and there are ways in which, for example, women are brought up to say yes to things whether or not they want to. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a consent educator. And if a man on the street tells me to smile, I will find myself smiling even though I don't want to. Oh, that's definitely not a New York City attitude. Well, yeah, nobody <laughs> smiles in New York it. City. New York City, it's like you tell me to smile, go fuck off. I got a scowl and I'm that's, proud of it. That's what I, I kind of miss about the East Coast. Like growing up in Massachusetts, like somebody tells you to yeah. smile, like you're, you're getting in a fight. Like, <laughs> Well, the question of uh, pressure, I mean, like you can get super academic about it or like we can get like real and in the world, the actual world about it. It's like, can't one be is pressure really preventing one from giving full consent there was i got you know there's the idea of like enthusiastic consent versus affirmative consent and Mm. what the legal standard should be i got called a rape i my first experience with being like massively yelled at on twitter uh was i didn't yell i tried to have like a very civil like disagreeable conversation that yeah they didn't respond but like I went under the train for 20, I went underground on the train and 20 minutes later I had 50 plus notifications. Um, and it was just like, I just said that like enthusiastic consent is a standard for good sex, I think, but I don't think it should be the legal standard for sex. I actually you agree. Know? And, the, um, the and arc- you know what? Twitter fucking ah, drag me for it. Yeah. But like, I actually do agree because as a sex worker, I can consent to sex that I'm not enthusiastic yeah. about because but that you're again, get, you're trying to that's get paid. part of capitalism, right? Yeah. Like I'm consenting because of capitalist reasons. I wouldn't be fucking this person if I wasn't getting paid. But like, you, it, like doesn't who says that, that? Does that matter or does it not matter? Like, I think it gets right. complex and but, that's okay. I, I think that the thing that, the thing that I think gets missed in the, in the conversation between, is it possible to get a hundred percent consent and saying, no, I don't think it is, is that the next step to that for me at least is, So do the best you can understand that you might be wrong. There might be things that are 
making this person feel that they have to consent. And so there is a coercive aspect and you might always be wrong. Mm. And so it's important to acknowledge that so that you are never like, I am either 100% a rapist or 100% not a rapist. I either got 100% consent and they have consented for the rest of their lives. So you're saying people can be just like, ah, you know, he's like 12% a rapist. I think that it's more, it's important to recognize that we are all taught to be coercive. Like we are all well, now, taught how, that that is an effective and important strategy. Before and, and I guess when I think of coercion and sex, I'm thinking something that's a little more malicious, and, and which is another problem when when people try to have these conversations. I think we don't. I think there needs to be like was deposition in like lawsuits or like that's when they meet up and they got it like they agree on some simple facts like where both sides are like, well, even if we disagree on X, Y, and Z, like we agree A, B, and C happened interpret how you will but like we agree on some fa- that's that's the deposition right yeah remember idiot um uh imbecile am i allowed to use imbecile nope. no okay imbecile is <laughs> also out. so but it's like i think what before entering any of these conversations there needs to be just a very brief like hey here's like three or five terms that are going to come up a lot how do you define these because like let's at least be talking the same language because like i definitely think defining you say terms coercive is important. and you may mean one thing i think coercive i think it's like i'm threatening or like i'm saying like i have pictures or i can you know i can talk to this guy to make sure you don't get that job like that's why I think coercion is. Um, and that is definitely coercive. Yeah. And those- then I think there's a gray area to coercion to like, oh, I don't really want to have sex with this person, but this is the person I live with. And if I am not putting out, am I going to have a place to sleep tonight? Mm. Like that's not necessarily coercion that the other person is consciously putting on. Mm. Right. Like sure. that's not them. They're not being malicious. But that is an external coercion that could come into play. And see, I guess like the way I think of coercion is that there is intent behind it versus yours. That's like a passive. That's like a circumstantial thing. That's more than because it's all in her head. It's not anything he's or or they whoever whoever they're right. living with. It's not anything that their partner has suggested to them right in let's pretend this scenario so it's really all like anticipatory anxiety which i don't think that this partner should be held responsible for someone else's anticipatory anxiety if they've done nothing so imagine if instead of trying to create a victim and a perpetrator we said oh okay there was a miscommunication here or we didn't have in all the all the facts so how do we work on that and how do we make sure that doesn't happen again Mm -hmm. and that's again that comes back to the call-out culture thing rather than it being like we must demonize this person they are a shit bag and we should all hate them it's like okay like maybe you weren't aware like let's let's give you the the benefit of the doubt um here's what we'd like to see from you in the future and like the way that someone reacts to that if they're defensive and like no fuck you like it, it was fine, like whatever. I'm not going to trust that person. But if the person's like, yeah, you know, that's fair. I'll think about that in the future. Then I'm going to be like, all right, like I have a feeling that this person is going to be more open to these conversations mm. in the future. Yeah. Like I I was asked on another podcast, like, so like. Wait, what? you did other podcasts? I've done, I've How? seen other podcasts. I'm God sorry. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but like I was asked like, so you know, does your partner say no to you? And I'm like, yeah, we say no to each other all the time. And they're like, wow, like, how do you react? And I'm like, well, sometimes I don't feel like having sex. Like, and that's okay. And like, I don't base my self-esteem on whether or not my boyfriend wants to fuck me. Like, it's fine. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're too drunk. Sometimes I've got a headache. Like, sometimes I just don't want to for whatever reason. And like, that's fine. And same with him. Like, sometimes, you know, his hip hurts or like he's just been washing dishes all day and he just can't be bothered. Like, that's yeah. that's legit. And so I think that 
being free to say no, if you feel like you can say no, then your yes means something. But if you feel like you can't say no for whatever reason, whether it's the other person or external factors, then your yes becomes really complicated because there's other things influencing it. That I agree with. But using the word consent, I think I when it's when the person when uh, when it's all in their head and there's nothing that the other person's really done to like deserve any sort of like finger pointing at it. I kind of go like I don't think that's about consent as much anymore. I find that's like that that's your own thing that you got to deal with and. and I mean, that, yeah. but that's your concern. Sure, sure, sure. Right? Like, and like one of the things that I try to check in with myself a lot about, like I don't have sex with somebody for the first time if I'm under the influence of anything. And that's like my personal choice. Yeah. Like other people make other choices and that's fine. But for me, I like knowing that I'm as close to giving 100% consent as I can. Is that for any actions or like specifically for like vaginal, anal, intercourse? Uh, oral as well. Oral as well? Okay. Yeah. Like uh, fingering. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, generally if it's anything more than like making out and maybe some like over the clothes yeah. fondling, then I want to be sober because I want to make sure that our communication is as clear as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. But okay. that's, you know, but that's me. And like, that's from a long time of experience. I also don't tend to fuck people under 27 because to me, I'm just like, <laughs> I've had too many experiences where people think that they can consent and then their consent gets really complex for them. And they're like, Oh, I thought I wanted to do this, but now I'm not so sure. And I'm just like, it's much easier if you've had some experience in this and like we're kind of coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. But other people make other choices yeah. and that's fine. But I, I found that for me, I have had a better relationship with consent and been able to honestly talk about coercion and not just me being coercive, but coercive like experiences in the ether by thinking about it as sometimes I fuck up. And mm-hmm. like sometimes I think that we're both enthusiastic and then I find out the other person wasn't as enthusiastic. Sometimes I'm consenting to sex with somebody and I find out that they just wanted to bang me because I'm a porn star. Mm. My consent might change based on that. I might be like, wow, that's really coercive and manipulative and kind of fucked up. It doesn't mean that they're an evil person. It means that they did not give me all the information that I needed for it to be informed consent. I mean, why someone bangs you, I don't know if that's needed for it to be informed consent because, like, who knows what's going on in someone's head. I mean, I try to get as much information as possible. Well, I'll put it this way. If you ask, I mean, if if you're asking, like, hey, are you banging me just because I'm a porn star? He says, no, that's pretty shitty. I I still wouldn't (laughs) call him a rapist if he then fuck. if you didn't say I want to I think that there's a lot of space in between being a rapist and being someone who may have crossed a boundary. So, and and right now, and so it must be so frustrating for you to be, like, eons ahead uh intellectually on some of these topics because like (laughs) general gen pop is not there like we're not (laughs) kitty we're not on your level okay um i know know. i'm trying but i do have to recognize that like this is because i've spent like 10 years thinking about this stuff and this type of conversation like and the stuff about right now consent is tied to rape and as right now the way the general population talks about it I think that's healthy just for now, just so we can maybe get a little less rapes going on. I think right? that we but, need to definitely start with that for sure. Right. And th- I think once we kind of got a handle, at least once we start like getting some prosecution, once we have less Brock Turner shit going on, right. Um, then maybe we can start having this more academic conversation where we're separating. If kind of like when we separated uh, gender and sex, right. Mm-hmm. Like that's something people are still figuring out. 
Uh, but I think a lot of people are starting to understand like, oh, there's this thing, there's like your biological sex and there's this thing called gender. I thought they were the same thing, but I'm starting to learn. Like, I'll catch up. I don't think we're ready to separate consent from rape yet. And uh, I feel so bad for you that you have to watch this keep fucking up. Um, well, that's why you, I'm writing a guide to fucking up. Did so. you, <laughs> did you, uh, I don't know if you, you saw that. Did you ever see Good Will Hunting? Yes. Yeah, yes. you're Will Hunting. And he said, like, I, I just can't keep sitting here. Watch you fuck up my equations. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Well, but I mean, that's that's what the book is, right? Because mm-hmm. like a big part of it is that I didn't want to write a book only about sexual consent. Right. And most of the essays in the book aren't about sex. Yeah. Most of them are about work or the home or hospitals and like just all these other areas, jail. Yeah. Like things that consent are also important for, but you know, we kind of talk about informed consent when it comes to medical care, but that's not really part of when we talk about consent culture that hasn't even entered the fray yet. And I wanted to be like, yeah, let's throw it in there and see what happens. Right. Like, what if we talked about consent in all these other areas? Like, what if it wasn't just focused around this one specific thing? I think that that might help people get it a little bit more, but it's asking a lot. It's definitely asking a lot. And I'm definitely shooting for the moon and seeing what happens. If you had to, <laughs> if you had to rate the book uh, from, let's say, uh, Sex Education 101 to 401, if you had to give it a class, like what, you know, where where would you put it? Is it can a, is this really beginner level? Is this someone who should maybe have a little foundation? I would say as a whole, it's probably about two hundred one. Okay, there are some pieces in there that are probably more three hundred one, and there are some pieces in there that are one hundred one. But as a as a collection, oh. I would say it's probably two hundred one. So what it would be great, people, is you go go pre order right now. Ask okay, what was the full, the full title? Is ask. ask building consent culture. Go pre order it. Put it in your bookshelf. You may not be ready right now. Get a couple other books in, and then, but then you got it there, and you write, oh, like I'm, you pass it every day. And you're like, one day I'll be, one day I'll deserve you. Ask, and then, <laughs> and then you, you're fucking ready for it, and you got it in the bookshelf, and you can start, uh, you know, stepping up your game, and we can one day hopefully get on Kitty's level. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I mean, I, my level's constantly changing. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a living document. <laughs> Consent is a living document. Um, are you are you okay to do maybe like an extra ten minutes little bonus content yeah, little sure. Patreon bonus episode? Okay, we're, let's do that. I have an idea of what to do for for that one. But for now, where can people find you? Um, I'm at Kitty Striker on Twitter. That's K I T T Y S T R Y K E R. Um, KittyStriker dot com. Uh, I write a lot on Medium. You could find me on Patreon. Uh, it's like Patreon dot com slash Kitty Striker. Um, I'm pretty accessible on Facebook. Yeah, I'm I'm everywhere. If you look up Kitty Striker, you'll find me. You're the Just, only Kitty Striker out there. <laughs> I, I mean, it's me and a God-fearing woman in Texas. Seriously? I'm not even kidding you. Oh my god! I feel so bad for her. I will say, if you look up my name and look at images, don't do that at work because I did do porn for a while. You will probably see me naked a lot. So just be aware, for your consent, that you should probably do that at home. Being like a porn person, I got just I, I assume like porn people just get a lot un, more unsolicited dick pics than like your everyday gal. So like I feel extra bad for her in a in, sort of because she's getting probably so many extra dick pics. She's like, why am I getting these dicks? You know uh, what though? I wrote a guide to making a good dick pic. Like what will make me happy personally? And so when people send me dick pics, I send them that guide and try I'm again. like, do it better. Like this is maybe a, a C. You. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> and I think that works really well. Well, um, 
go check out on the interwebs. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can pre-order Ask. And uh, for all you Patreon supporters, uh, just stay tuned for tomorrow. You're going to hear a great bonus episode. But for now, why don't you uh, say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Oh, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Kitty Stryker. Fantastical. Um, please let us know what you thought about the episode. Give us both a little shout out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever is clever. You heard her plugs at Kitty Stryker. I'm at the Billy Presida. Uh, this tweet comes from at Bootsy Bear Bear. Uh, is a picture of a whole mess of uh, penis cookies. They're actually very well done. They're, they're like all almost works of art. I would feel bad eating one. Uh, and it says, just made these, and I think I need to make them again for Manhorcon. That's right, Bootsy. Uh, new announcement. Cock cookies coming to Manhorcon this October. <laughs> Please, if you can, uh, support both myself and Kitty Striker on Patreon. Uh, you can join my fan whore community for as little as a dollar per month and receive a slew of awesome rewards. Just head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash podcast. And don't forget to get your tickets to ManHorcon before prices go up on August 1st. Head on over to manhorpod.com slash tickets to take advantage of these super early bird prices. And if you're interested in affordable lodging accommodations, I still have slots open. Uh, shoot me an email at manwarpod at gmail.com. Uh, shoot me an email about anything. Uh, leave me your comments, your questions, your titty pictures. Send them all over. But for now, uh, you know, I hope you all enjoy yourselves. Put sunscreen on your butts, okay? Uh, if you're going to go out to the nude beach, don't be a billy, okay? <laughs> but until next week, when I talk to super funny stand-up comedian Oscar Aiden... Y'all stay slutty.